with, when you introduce automation, it can make those decisions for you and it, and it reduces your workload as a human to focus on things that humans are better at than computers. For now, you know, who knows what the future holds, but for now, when it comes to knowledge and expertise, there's no supercomputer AI chat GPT in the world that can touch what humans can do. And, and that, that gap widens as, uncertain, as uncertainty increases. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. All right, there we go, and we're back. So what's going on? I'm dragging today. You seemed all fired up about an hour ago. I don't know, I'm still fired up. It's just uh, we've we've had some monsoonal moisture the last two days, and it makes me just want to cuddle up on the couch with a blanket and binge watch like all nine seasons. Was it nine seasons of uh, Seinfeld? I was about to say, was it going to be Seinfeld? Yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while, I like going from the beginning to the end. I struggle with season one. Um, it takes. Why is that? It just takes a minute for them to find their groove as a kind of team as a unit, what would you call it? Like, you know, as an ensemble. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to kind of find their, their groove of how they work together and play off each other. And so the first, I think it starts to happen near the end of the first, uh, season, but the, the pilot is really cringy. Um, Mm -hmm. and the first couple episodes are just like, Oh, you know, there it's that awkwardness of them just not having, uh, having that, uh, connection to play off each other figured out quite yet it's still i mean it's still watchable but something magical like season two season three starts to happen and that's when it starts to get really good yeah and that's why a lot of tv shows are um you know when they get into season six season seven um you you look back especially as the show and this is really this applies to shows that get better as as the series goes on, mm-hmm. um, when you look back, yeah, like you could tell it was rough and you know, they hadn't quite found their chemistry yet. Yeah. Yeah. There seems to be a natural arc there. The thing that impresses me a lot about Seinfeld is that they, they went out on top on their terms. And I was just reading something the other day, how they offered Jerry like a ton of money to do a 10th season. And he just, he just said, mm-hmm. no, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's to be commended because, you know, you, you see lots of other shows. And, and sadly, with one of the shows that is stupid that I love, Impractical Jokers, is kind of trending down that. Like, it they, is. they probably should have shut it off after Joe walked away or they should have all walked away together. They were kind of at this high and now it's kind of like, eh, all right, they're going to squeeze every last dime they can out of this. Big Bang Theory as well. Like, it took a while to find the groove and then there were a few seasons that were incredible and then all of a sudden just tipped over and it's just like 
okay, you guys are just going through the motions to drag as much money out of this as you can, and it's just not good anymore. And it kind of spoils the whole thing, right? Because it kind of leaves this sour taste in your mouth a bit. Yeah, um, I was thinking the same thing about Impractical Jokers because there are several episodes and even a couple seasons where I'll go back and watch and just laugh my yeah. ass off. The episode with Joe and Noah Syndergaard when he was with the oh, Mets. That's a Stealing the one. baseballs from kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, it's, it's funny, a quick side story. Like when my brother and I were kids, my dad would take us down to Veterans Stadium to get Philly's autographs. Mm. And he would stand back and let us run up. And that was one thing. And yeah, there were adults there getting autographs but like the unwritten rule was you let the kids go first yeah you know if they've got time that you know like and you did you still saw some of those those guys that would run up and push kids out of the way yeah to get an autograph it's like dude don't be a tool yeah um but anyway kind of going back to impractical jokers like that one the bingo episode they're great (laughs) and yeah like the new ones they don't have the same spirit they don't have the the dynamics broken you know, yeah, yeah, just... exactly. The dynamics broken because Joe's not there. Yeah, and I always have this hope that he rejoins the group, and maybe ah. they can find the magic again. Uh, but yeah, they should have gone out on top. And it, it's funny. Like I was thinking about the same thing with Game of Thrones the other day. Like my wife and I were talking about shows that are rewatchable, mm-hmm. um, because at this point, like, yeah, like the from what I understand is kind of just reading the room when it comes to Hollywood and entertainment, like syndication dollars are Mm -hmm. down because Mm -hmm. what uh, streaming has introduced. But I was like, there were these days too, they're, they're pumping out so much content. Like nothing is rewatchable. Like it used to be Seinfeld friends, a couple other shows out there. You can, you can rewatch. I can rewatch Ted Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec, yeah, but it, like the Game I, of Thrones, the IT crowd. If you haven't watched, I haven't. I should probably oh. watch that. But um, Game of Thrones, like there are people that talk about how as good as it was the first couple seasons, they can't even watch that knowing how bad it got to season eight, how mm. bad they botched that final season because people are like, I can't watch the first, even as good as they are, I can't watch those first couple seasons because I know where it ends. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it is that way. Like, just knowing when to go out on top and leaving people wanting more. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I thought I ha- I thought we were working <laughs> on a line into our topic t- for today. Um, but but actually, maybe. You know, the, the idea of getting people to want more. Um, the question I have today for, for our episode topic is, is, how can automation make your analytics team more insightful and, and valuable? Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, you and I have talked about where you know, we're, we're seeing this trend in the analytics space where teams are not returning to the sizes they were pre-pandemic. Yeah. You know, so you have smaller analytics teams. Uh, organizations are looking to get more out of them, so they need to be more valuable. So... You know, being more effective with their time, a lot of people are looking to solve that by automating routine tasks and reporting the team does. Um, So I want to dig into that today. Like, how can automation make the team more insightful and valuable? Are there downsides to it? Like, does automation make the team less insightful by focusing on the routine? Because 
in many ways, like if you say, like, can, if you ask the question, can automation make your analytics team more valuable? Some people are going to say, well, yeah, right away. But like, are there any pitfalls to, to look out for? And ultimately, again, tying it back to TV, you know, can automation leave your internal clients and customers wanting more? So I just kind of threw it out there and, you know, winged the opening question. But what are your thoughts? You know, what are your thoughts on analytics teams, automation, self-service, and whatnot? And how can it make a team more more insightful and valuable? Yeah. Um, and I'm going to pull up some notes because I, I didn't prep for this, but I have, I think, some pertinent notes for this. Um, you know, I think the place that we have to start is not even talking about automation. It's it's taking a, a slight step backwards and and making sure that we're clear on what the purpose of our analytics team is. Uh, because if we don't know what it is that we're doing, it's really hard to align anything, uh, especially something like automation, with a desired outcome. And, and by that I mean, if we don't know what our purpose is and what we're trying to do, we've already seen kind of the mess we've got ourselves in without automation, without AI, right? Like we're overloaded with tools, we have all this data, all this stuff, but like we're not delivering any more value and we're probably delivering less value. And I think a big part of that is that we've lost, um, we've lost a sense of why we exist um, and then aligning those things to help us better do our job. And for me, and I had this kind of epiphany the other day and I'm gonna actually just pull it up. Um, I, I posted about it on LinkedIn uh, maybe yesterday or the day before. Hold on. This is uh, super exciting watching me scrolling through. Um, okay, here it is. So my, my thought was, and my post is, and I'll just, it's short, so I'll read it word for word. Analytics is not about crunching numbers faster or automating reports or coming up with a new way to collect data. Analytics, when done right, is about freeing up people to do what they do best, whether that's being a marketer, a product manager, or hey, perhaps even a chef. And and the reason I came to this epiphany is I'm, I'm reading this book uh, that someone recommended to me called, uh, what is it? Unreasonable Hospitality. Um, it's about the restaurant industry. Um, and the, the guy is talking from his first person perspective, um, went to culinary school. His first kind of real job in the restaurant business was working for a boutique restaurant group in New York, I think that owned four restaurants. He had an opportunity to go work at a larger restaurant and he, his dad, who was a world renowned chef told him you should take it. And the reason why you should take it is that it's important to understand that you have this hospitality component with, with small restaurants. And then there's this whole business component uh, when you get to running bigger restaurants. And um, he went to work for this larger restaurant to kind of learn the business side of running a restaurant. And his job was a, kind of a report guy. They just had him running reports in Excel, and he hated it. He's like, this is stupid. This has nothing to do with running a restaurant. And then he went down and sat with the controller of the restaurant group, 
and they were going through some of the reports and he said, did you notice uh, that this restaurant over here uh, is is losing money and their margins are, are suffering? Um, and did you notice that if you dig a little deeper in the report that the cost of lobster has gone up substantially and that we haven't raised the rates of, of lobster? Um, our job as analysts is to inform the chef of this and, and help him understand that we either need to raise the rates on the lobster dishes or we need to pull lobster off the menu and replace it with something else that the chef comes up with. And it was such a beautiful kind of moment. And they talked about the conversation with the chef and they said, we gave him these insights and this information allowed him as a chef to be creative and decide, do I want to raise the rates? Do I want to do something else? And the chef pulled the lobster items off the menu and replaced it with a scallop dish that he had been working on. They didn't take away from his creativity. They didn't take away from his job. They actually made his job easier as a chef by allowing him to focus on the things that he was great at and using the analytics and the data to help inform that, freeing him up to do his job. And I really think that that's what our role is. Our role, whether our partner is in marketing, in product, uh, you know, in engineering, uh, whatever it is, our role should be to free them up, provide them insights so they don't have to use a ton of brain cycles on that to do the things that they're really, really good at. And I think if we're able to come to that um, consensus, then we can talk about things like automation and tools that allow us to do that in a very effective and efficient manner. So I'll shut up for a minute while you give me your thoughts and I'm going to pull up some other notes I have on the topic. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting how you kind of pulled it out. Like, like what what is even the purpose of the analytics team? And as you were talking through that, and it, it feels like the analytics space at the moment, at least the analytics team, those responsible for reports and insights, like there's, if you ask people, everyone's going to give you a different answer on like what the purpose of the team is. Is the team to just churn out reports, you know, monthly, weekly, quarterly reports or whatever, or are they there to actually provide insights on the direction of the business? So right before this, um, I had a one-on-one -on -one with um, with one of our clients just to kind of check in and see see how things were going, and he was talking about like you know, redesigns coming up with a couple of the sites, and um, you know he was talking about in the context of you know like they've actually gotten over the last couple of years really good in, in in a good habit of pulling in the analytics team, including us, very early so we can inform things. But he even feels like we get pulled in too early when there's too many changes. So he was talking about the timing of it. So then I also asked him, I said, like, are they actually asking for data to inform these redesigns? Like, are they using that? Or is it just, hey, we need data afterward? And he was telling me how they've gotten, you know, they are reaching a point where more and more, there's still some that aren't, but there are more and more, more yes than no, that are using analytics data to inform the design process and not just kind of going in with that, that traditional gut feel. So I was like, that's great because, you know, when you look at a maturity model, you know, the analytics, when it comes to that, the purpose of the analytics team, like people aren't even thinking about data until long afterward, after launch, like, Oh, we need data on the changes where as you really push the purpose of the analytics team and move up that maturity model, those teams are asking you, we need data to inform changes we're thinking of. 
Yeah, and, and and again, I think that speaks perfectly to to what we're we're chatting about is us being there to help take some of that cognitive load off. And this is going to be a good transition into where I think automation can play a role for us is we can take some of that cognitive load off of the designer, the mark again, whoever we're supporting to free them up to to really do the things that they're they're great at. Um, and, and I think if we think about it that way, it can be incredibly powerful. And, and, and again, I think this creates a very nice transition into your question of how can automation help make our analytics teams more insightful and more valuable. And, and I'm going to use something that's tangentially related. And this, I, and this isn't my thought. Uh, this comes from uh, this comes from a researcher, um, an expert in autonomous systems that I uh, watched a keynote that she gave um, a couple years ago um, on autonomous systems, specifically in airplanes, um, large commercial airplanes, so autopilot. Um, and, and she talks about how to think about that complex relationship between pilot and the computer. And why, when it's done right, it works incredibly well. Why, when it's done wrong, it could be disastrous. Um, and so her her um, theory is, um, and she calls it, I think she calls it strike, um, skills, rules, knowledge, and expertise. And in the skills and rule-based things, computers beat humans 100% of the time. Um, you know, think about if you're into chess, there's some, there's some incredibly, incredibly powerful chess bots out there um, that are thousands of points um, rankings higher than Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player in the world. Um, because they're basing their decision, the computer, off of a known set of rules. And computers have gotten to a point where they're so powerful that they're just better at, than at humans of crunching that data faster and better, right? Like they can see all the scenarios, they can take it out to a depth of how many different decision points, they can do it super fast. And even with autonomous vehicles, you know, a lot of people push back against Tesla and others, but if you think about the complexity of driving and how many thousands of decisions that computer is making every second, it's mind blowing. And the same thing is happening in, in airliners with autopilot is that if we know the rules and the skills we're trying to model, right? Like we know the rules of flight, we know how we want the, the plane to act, the computer can take that load and, and take that, that load off of us as humans to free us up to do the things that we're better at than computers. Um, and so, you know, if you've ever, you know, if you've ever looked into aviation or you ever thought about autonomous vehicles or have driven an autonomous vehicle, you start to get an appreciation of how complex the workload is on a human, right? Like, I, I think I told you when I got a self-driving car, the first thing that hit me was just how overwhelming it was of the number of decisions that my brain was making that I wasn't even aware of. Yeah, like, you were telling me that when we were in Vegas. Yeah, right, right. When we were driving around, I'm like, it's me. I'm having to make all these decisions. I'm not even thinking about it. With with a with when you introduce automation, it can make those decisions for you, and it, and it reduces your workload as a human to focus on things that humans are better at than computers. And this lady argues that 
for now, you know, who knows what the future holds, but for now, when it comes to knowledge and expertise, there's no supercomputer AI chat GPT in the world that can touch what humans can do. And, and that, that gap widens as uncertain as uncertainty increases, right? So if, if we're on a closed course and we have an automobile and it's driving around and it has a known set of rules it has to follow, it will be 100% perfection. It will follow the course and make no mistakes. But what happens when we take it out in the real world? Uncertainty increases. We have other drivers that are shit drivers. You know, we have a flash flood that just all of a sudden comes out of nowhere. We have, you know, a dust storm that overtakes the freeway and we can't see. That's where the human brain is able to um, completely outperform a computer is in those states of uncertainty. And we leverage our existing knowledge that we've built. Um, and our expertise that we've built over time to, to, to quickly make those decisions as uncertainty increases. And, and I think that that is a great model for how we can think about how automation can make our analytics teams more insightful. And, and if I was advising companies on this, I would say, okay, what things do we know that we can put some sort of uh, framework around that has defined rules? Right. So what kind of reporting, what kind of thresholds, what kind of things can we build known rules around? Those things should absolutely be handed over to automation and AI. They should handle that all day long and take it off our workload. Then we should ask the question, what sorts of things introduce uncertainty into that environment? And the more uncertainty, the more we need not only a human brain, but a human brain with advanced knowledge and expertise. Because as things become more uncertain, the way to solve that is through knowledge and expertise. So I'll stop there because that was a lot. Yeah, definitely. But I like how you put the the guardrails around it, the, the known rules versus the uncertainty. Because as I was thinking through this topic, and again, trying to weigh both sides of it, because when you're in deep in, in this space, there are just things that you just know that like just know because of habit, because of muscle memory, that if, if you were able to automate it, the team would be better. But then the flip side is, is like, well, if I automate it, does my team just basically become assembly line workers? Um, which... And that's, I at least wanted to make sure we covered yeah. that part. But I think when you put the guardrails around it, like we're going to automate the stuff that's known rules. Um, and again, you know, you were talking about reducing the cognitive load of your customers, but also reducing the cognitive load of the analytics team. The stuff that's known, the stuff that's repeatable, get it out of, you know, get it off their minds so that they can dig into those areas that are uncertain that you can't automate. Yeah, and so to answer the question or to address the issue of does my team become part of an assembly line, absolutely not. In fact, the exact opposite. Um, again, we're, we're using automation to free us up from having to do things that a computer can do better than us. That reduces the cognitive workload on our brain to do more advanced and sophisticated things. Um, my worry is what does that mean for a career path? Because... That model 
puts a lot of strain and stress on people that lack experience. And, and I think you and I have talked a lot about this, like this concept of electricians or plumbers that have this apprenticeship model. I, I so. firmly believe that that is going to have to be something that we address when it comes to, to analytics because automation is going to still and eat up all of those jobs of people that are running reports, are combining data, are you know massaging data through known rules and filters. Those jobs are going to go away because automation can do it better than they can and cheaper than they can. Mm-hmm. So how do, but if we don't have, you know, we're not born experts with experience and knowledge and expertise. We gain that over time. So if, if, if we no longer have these entry level roles that allow us to grow into it, how do we replace analysts that have expertise if we don't have some sort of program in place to provide an apprenticeship to junior and staff level uh, people that are still learning the trade because they are simply not going to be in a position and this is happening really, really quickly. They will no longer be in a position to add value to companies because the things that they can do, computers will do better than them and the gap to having the expertise and the knowledge to be able to do things to address the complex problems that come with uncertainty, they will be unable to do because of their lack of experience. And that, to me, we need to address. It's funny because I had a very similar conversation this week with my wife. Um, my brother-in-law is in the entertainment industry. And I'm, I, I, I may, what I'm about to say may be controversial. It may, may not be, depending upon your perspective. But like, I'm, I'm an outsider to that industry but I know, I know enough to be dangerous. And I was describing to her how I said, I feel like the, the, the actors guild and the writers association, they're fighting the wrong battle with, with, with the current strike, because one of the big sticking points, especially with the writers is, is they don't want AI involved. And again, I, I may not have all the nuances, but they're basically from what I've understand, what I gathered is, is they're fighting the use of AI and I'm like, you're going to reaching... lose. The, they're going to lose that bingo. And that's exactly yeah. it. It's you, you, when you reach a point like this, and I believe the analytics industry is going through something very, very similar. You either embrace the new tools, you embrace the new way and say, no, I don't want the new tool or no, it can't do it as well as I can. It's you need a different mindset. It's like, how do I own and embrace that tool? How do I make that part of my toolkit versus saying, no, it's, you know, it's something we need to ignore. Does that make sense? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And it's scary. Look, this is, this is scary. Um, You know, things change quickly and the way that we've done things, whenever there's a threat to that, that's, it's, it's scary, right? We cling on to what we're comfortable with and all of a sudden something changes and we fight against it and say, no, 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 our, our livelihood is at risk here. I'm getting pinged all over the place. Sorry, I'm trying to pay attention. No, 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 Um, you're fine. (laughs) um, And and so we fight against it, but history has proven that is 100% of the time a losing battle. Now, you can fight and delay it, but there are endless examples. You know, in my own backyard, coal and and oil um, were huge industries in the 1900s in in Utah. That's That's gone. 
But there are still people in the year 2023. Uh, is your brother-in-law a SAG actor? He is. Okay. Hold on. I'm, I'm having a separate conversation about this. <laughs> I'm trying to keep this all together. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to clue you in on it. Um, uh, it's 2023. And I know people. I have friends that are still clinging on to this of we have to push people. We have to push the industry back. This is how we have to do things. I'm like... Guys, you're gonna lose. Like we can, you can fight it and delay it, but it's inevitable that it is going to become over. And it, that's you know AI, whatever's in the future. Like innovation and progress is going to win on if you stretch the timeline out long enough. A hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as analysts, we can't fear this. We have to adapt, and we have to be open to it. That it is not. Um, it is, it is not a uh, threat to us. It is a tool that is going to make us stronger, right? I, I, I think this was pro- – I don't know, but I'm assuming just seeing how this has played out in other industries, probably similar to pilots, right? When we didn't have autopilot at the beginning of flight, it was all manual. Everyone did it manual. Then all of a sudden, we came up with this idea of fly-by-wire. We can put a computer in an airplane and the computer can help fly the plane. Do you think pilots were freaking the hell out? I bet a lot were, right? It's yeah. like, what, the computer's going to take my job? I need, and, and I think those probably got pushed aside. The pilots that side as an amazing uh, tool to help reduce their cognitive workload so that they could be even better pilots are the ones that thrived. And, and we're in that scenario right now in the analytics industry. If we see it as a threat to our job, we are not going to stop it. We are going to get run over and pushed to the side. If we see it as a super powerful assistant, again, for those rule-based decisions and things we do to reduce our cognitive workload to focus on uncertainty, which is really where we shine, we are going to be superstars. Exactly. And it's, it's funny, like, and, and obviously the, the common driver in many of these cases is AI and how it gets applied and, you know, who, who owns it, um, but yeah, like I, I definitely see, see our industry changing. I was thinking back the other day, I was thinking about like, it was 15 years ago when I pivoted from financial services to, to analytics. And to me, it is night and day different. Um, and even just 10 years ago, much, much different. Um, because with what's happening is, is, there's the, the middle ground is disappearing. You are either an assembly line worker in your organization, churning out data instrumentation or churning out basic reports, or you're being in, expected to, to inform the, the business on what decisions they need to make. Uh, like there's, there's no in between anymore. There's no, there's no middle ground. And for those that want a career in analytics, there's no fun in being in that lower end. There, there's no fun. There's no creativity. And you're on mute, by the way. <laughs> uh, it is exhausting. Uh, and it is draining. And it is soul-sucking. And it is like, mundane. Oh, it's brutal, right? Like, it's brutal. Um, and I can't imagine anyone that truly desires to to be an analyst wants to be in that right like as analysts we're 
insanely curious people. We want to be in places of uncertainty. We want the unknown unknowns. That's where we thrive. Um, and and to, to knowingly put us in a place where it is, to your point, literally assembly line work, to me, that either says, you know, these aren't people that want to be analysts. They're on. They're hopping on a hot trend to make a quick dollar, um, or maybe they just don't know any better, and they need they need some um, exposure to why this is not the path. Um, but man, I'm I'm super excited that you you brought up this topic because it is such a powerful one, and it's facing. Look, I mean, it's facing every industry. You you brought it up with actors and screenwriters and. It's affecting their industry. It's affecting analytics. Uh, it, it will soon be affecting uh, commerce and travel as we talk about automation. You know, we can we can say, oh, it's never, it's it's going to happen, right? Like we're and, and and I think there are maybe Amazon or others that are already road testing autonomous uh, delivery vehicles. Um, this is happening. You know, we're we're not putting it back in the bag. Uh, mm. This is happening, and and if history is is a good informer of of future events it is those people that are willing to see this as a a partner in what they're doing that are going to thrive people see this as a threat to their livelihood are going to realize the very thing that they're most scared about and that's the sad part about it you know it's they're so fearful of it that their fear of it actually creates the worst possible scenario that they're scared of yeah and i want to enhance what you just said so like there's those that see it as a tool that enables them to evolve and either enhance what they're doing or take them to a whole other level or work on stuff that they never thought they'd reach or those that fear it and become protectionist and slowly is slowly. It just eats away at what you do and you're left out in the cold Mm -hmm. while other people have evolved and have taken on new challenges. Yeah, and it's unfortunate, and I think we need to be empathetic um, because it's very easy to point fingers and say, "You idiot! Like we, we, you saw this coming. We all saw this coming. Why are you here?" Like, you know. But we, I think we we need to show some empathy that people are scared, and it is scary. And there are going to be analysts in our space that get left behind by this. And I think, it, you know, while it would be easy to point fingers and blame them, I think it's it's on us that are able to see this. To, to reach out a helping hand to say, hey, I want to help you overcome this because there is a better way you can thrive in this environment. Um, you know, I think we just need to be a little bit more caring and empathetic about it because while as we're talking about it, it may seem crystal clear and easy to grasp, but I, I guarantee it's not for a lot of people. Um, and again, we shouldn't shame them. We shouldn't blame them. We should be looking for ways to, to help them. And, and I think one very important way as consultancies like, like we're in, as, uh, as, as companies, if you're running an analytics team within an organization, um, as leadership bodies within the analytics industry, I think we have an obligation to figure out this um, apprenticeship program that we're, we put in place. Like we're going to have to figure this out really, really quickly. And, and for those of us, especially those that are uh, deeper on the experience side, I think it's, we have a duty, uh, to, to do this. And sorry, I didn't want to cut you off, but I, I think this one, we didn't, uh, we didn't, um, 
tangentially go all over the place, which I think... We kept this, it concise. If, yeah, for this episode, we kept it really focused on this tight model of what is happening. And I think it's really important that, that we created a lot of clarity around this. And uh, again, I'm really glad you brought this up. I think... We need to be talking more about this. We need to be writing uh, content about this. We need to be talking to our customers about this. You know, listeners out there that are running analytics teams, you need to be thinking about this and figuring out how to solve for it. This is much more important than privacy. This is much more important than uh, tools. This is much more important than server side. Like, there's lots of things that are happening, and not to say those things aren't important. But if we if we put it on some sort of a, a graph, this solving this problem because it's going to happen quicker than anyone realizes um, is going to be the biggest threat to to our existence that that we face. And and again, like threat isn't the right word. It's the biggest opportunity that we have to pivot and truly become valuable partners in the business. And using AI and automation to help finally get there by freeing up a lot of our cognitive workload that has gone to, I like the way you put it, kind of assembly line tasks that we've become so comfortable doing. And that's not limited to reporting. It's implementation. It's a lot of the technical stuff that we like to you know, celebrate as an industry. That too is going to get eaten up by, by AI. And not to say that the technical piece is going to go away, but you're going to be more the pilot monitoring the system than actually, you know, flying the plane 100% of the time. Yeah. And it's perfect the way you, you started that with, there's two perspectives. You could see it as a threat. You could see it as an opportunity. Um, And whichever way you see it, it's, that's going to determine the outcome for you uh, because you know, your, your, your companies, like your organizations are looking at this um, and let's go ahead and let's beat a topic. Let's continue to beat a topic to death that we've talked about so much over the last two years. What happened when the pandemic hit analytics teams were not seen as valuable. They were seen as nice to haves. They were seen as, this is a cool thing to have, but you know what? There's the value that they provide is unknown. So we're just going to put things on pause. And when this stuff gets straightened out, we'll just light it right back up again. And there's still organizations that are recovering from that decision. And they may never and, recover. Yeah. And so if you're not careful, this next phase you know, if you're not able to use this tool to make your team more valuable or put things in place to make your team more valuable, it's going to come back around again. And it's like, well, we could just quickly replace this with a machine. Yep. hundred percent. So let's go ahead and wrap up there. Yeah. Okay. We'll, yeah, we'll keep it concise spot. this week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is good. Um, I think this is definitely something we need to keep an eye on. Um, continue to, to talk about because the, again, I just keep repeating, um, what, what you said, but, um, uh, the cat's out of the bag. Like yeah. the, this is, this is not going away. Nope. It's, it's only going to continue to, to grow. Yep. 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 Cool. This is, cool. this was awesome. Super, super important topic. Yeah. Today. 
So cool. Let's go ahead and wrap up there and talk to everyone later. See you. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.